Live from Northern California, it's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. Yeah, you've heard that once or twice now, haven't you? Got the whole thing memorized. In fact, my engineer has it tattooed on his forearm, just in case he forgets. <laughs> Good afternoon. Welcome. It's a Wednesday, if you hadn't been keeping track here, the 13th of October. Great to have you on board for another edition of Lifeline. Pretty fast-paced, moving program Tonight, lots to talk about, including the okay from the California Attorney General's office to move forward with collecting, uh, collecting signatures for a ballot that's proposed for the November 22 election that would create, you guessed it, school choice in the state of California. Mike Alexander joins us for some insights. We'll also talk about what's going on with a couple of Bills recently signed into law by Governor Newsom and why they're both likely to be facing court challenges. As we kick off the program tonight, speaking of court challenges, here's another one for you. Late last Friday, they tend to do these things under the, um, the cover of darkness or when there's not much uh, press paying attention. They'll sign controversial bills, as our governor did this time, Senate Bill 742. That essentially, well, you know, it's one of those Trojan horse bills that comes in and purports to do one thing and really does something different. Now, I have to wonder where all the protests are at hospitals and at clinics across the state of California, people fighting others who wish to go in and receive the vaccination for COVID-19. That's what this bill purports to do to prevent those poor people from being harassed by others that come and protest. I'd love to see a single news example of that happening. But what the bill really does, let's find that out from Jonathan Keller, president of the California Family Council. And uh, Jonathan, always great to have you on. This is not the first time we've seen the California state legislature um, push one of these so-called Trojan horse bills. This one, though, perhaps very egregious in the fact that it really doesn't do anything to address these non-existent protests over the vaccine, but it does do much to put a bucket of cold water on First Amendment rights for Californians. Tell us what's going on here. Well, thanks, Craig. As always, it's great to be with you and your listeners. And yeah, thank you for bringing attention to this very important issue. As you mentioned, the state of California really seems to be indefatigable when it comes to attacking pro-lifers and pro-life messages. Uh, you probably remember a couple of years ago, I was on your show, we were talking about a lawsuit that made it all the way to the Supreme Court. Uh, the state of California had tried to silence pregnancy centers inside their own building. They, they were going to try to force them to advertise abortion services on the walls of their buildings and even in their own materials, printed and online. Well, the Supreme Court struck that down, but I, I remember a bad omen, Craig, from that, uh, that press conference. State legislators, after that was struck down, they held a defiant press conference, and they said, you know, we're coming back. Don't think this is the last you've seen from us. And now we kind of see what they mean. Uh, this this bill, as you mentioned, SB 742, it really is a Trojan horse. They, they have it all under the guise of so-called vaccine protest. Well, Craig, look, I, I know there's a lot of people that have different feelings about the vaccine. I don't think anybody should be harassed, no matter what their decision is, no matter how you come down on that issue. I think we can all live and let live. But the sad part is this bill is so broad. This 
goes actually to trying to not let a certain group of people live. Um, because it doesn't just apply to COVID-19 or even vaccinations in general, it, it's not talking about a protest against a vaccine. It is barring protests of any kind outside any location that might just happen to offer a vaccine. So that doesn't just include, you know, a, uh, a, a normal place like a CVS or Rite Aid or Vaughn, Safeway. It doesn't even include, it doesn't only include Walmart. It even includes places like Planned Parenthood. Uh, just a few months ago, Planned Parenthood announced they were going to be uh, increasing their vaccination efforts. And as a result, this bill would suddenly give them a weapon to prosecute every single peaceful, pro-life individual who is lovingly, compassionately praying outside of an abortion clinic, who is sidewalk counseling, who is offering hope and support and resources to women and men that might be facing an unplanned pregnancy. Well, this now gives a 100-foot buffer zone to Planned Parenthood. And it says within that buffer zone, you cannot come. If you're a peaceful pro-life grandma who's out there praying on the sidewalk, you cannot come within 30 feet of any individual who might be there seeking help. And we really do believe this is unconstitutional. Uh, my, my good friend John Girardi, who runs the Right to Life of Central California organization, he sued the state today with the great legal advocacy group Alliance Defending Freedom, and I, uh, I expect a, a very quick, um, the battle has been joined. I mean, again, as you mentioned, the law was only signed on Friday, and already here on Wednesday we have the the law being sued in federal court. Well, and justifiably so. I mean, to begin with, I find it a bit ironic that for the longest time we've heard stay six feet apart so we can be medically safe. This adds an additional 24, I guess, <laughs> just for good measure so you can be emotionally safe as well. And and talk about a chilling effect on First Amendment rights. And I, I, I'll, I'll give you an insight you might not be aware of that really, I think, tips the hand of the California State Legislature and Planned plan Parenthood behind all of this. Um, there has been, across the state, in key locations, uh, the 40 Days for Life campaign. And I happened to catch a news report earlier this week that in Walnut Creek, there was some discussion about, well, maybe the city council there will need to pass an ordinance to help protect these poor people trying to go into the Planned Parenthood clinic there from the folks that were just peacefully across the street, not next to it, across the street, praying and, and sharing. Well, they also then tipped the hand and said, well, we're anticipating um, the governor to sign a bill soon that will help address this problem. And of course, by Friday, that had happened. So I think it's pretty clear here that the real intent, the real intent here is to try to strip away First Amendment rights from anybody that dare come across with a pro-life position. Well, that's absolutely correct. And you know, Craig, it's really shameful. I, I, I just I try not to be surprised. I try not to get um, angry or frustrated. But it is more smears and more lies from the friends in the radical pro-abortion camp. Um, in response to the, the lawsuit, instead of acknowledging the very real First Amendment concern, and as a matter of fact, Craig, even the ACLU said that there could be problems with this law. I mean, once upon a time, they used to stand for free speech rights for everybody. Unfortunately, in, in recent years, it seemed like they have been more on the side of one political ideology, but 
even they recognize that this bill has serious constitutional concerns. And yet, despite that, uh, the author of the bill, Dr. Richard Pan, uh, he gave this quote to the Sacramento Bee when he was asked about his opinion. He said, quote, this is just another obstructionist tactic from the anti-vax extremists. We won't stop fighting for safe access to life-saving vaccines. So, I mean, again, as I said, I don't think anybody should be harassed. I don't think anybody should be bothered if they decide that it's best for them and their family to go get a COVID-19 vaccine. My my wife and I actually got the COVID-19 vaccine. I I don't think anybody should be bothered or, or harassed. But the fact that when when all you have is a hammer, this government power, any free speech you don't like must look like a nail. And I, I think the, the ultimate message that people need to take away is that the right to free speech is for everyone, not just those in power. And the government can't silence speakers just because they don't like what they have to say. No, that's exactly right. You know, there's a lot of talk about the issue of um, uh, big tech doing this. And, of course, it comes into a bit of a different category from a constitutional standpoint because we have to differentiate between between what private individuals do and what government does. But this is clearly government. And this is clearly government overstepping its reach, ignoring intentionally so, I'd like to argue, First Amendment rights, deciding that, you know, in, in an effort to try and protect people uh, with no clear definitions as to exactly what the big agreement thing is that's going on here, I got to tell you, I think you'd be hard-pressed to find many cases of people protesting at doctor's offices, hospitals, or clinics, people going in to get the vaccine. But on the abortion angle, that news report earlier in the week of what's going on in Walnut Creek last week clearly displays the real agenda here. And I'm glad to hear that it's already being challenged in court, as it should be. This, again, kind of highlights, as I said, going back several months, you know, we're going to recall... Governor Newsom, don't do it because of the French laundry. Do it because of this kind of stuff. Because the governor it no longer serves as any kind of a breaking mechanism for a California state legislature gone wild. And they've been wild for many, many years. Jonathan Keller, well, president of the California Family Council, we appreciate the update. Information available on the web at californiafamily.org. That's californiafamily.org. And we'll be sure to keep you posted as the legal challenges to Senate Bill 742, better known as the Trojan Horse Bill, continues to make its way through the court system. 516 from KFAX. Let's get you an update on traffic. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right, welcome back to the conversation. We talked last week about some of the issues going on in the state of California in specific uh, public education relationship to uh, some of these new initiatives. They're not only moving into uh, arenas um, related to uh, transgenderism, but more that undoubtedly will make a lot of parents very nervous, largely because... Children are being exposed to information that oftentimes is not only not age-appropriate, but it's really outside the bounds of what public school system should be doing. I mean, there are certain jobs that the parents can and should be doing, certain jobs the schools should be doing. Schools, I think, would be best served, students best served if 
they stuck to reading, writing, and arithmetic. But we know, of course, anything is further from the truth. With that notion in mind, there have been several attempts to try to bring about um, so-called school choice, and perhaps one of the most exciting is one that may very well be headed to a ballot box new year come near you come November of 22. And to give us more information about uh, um, a, a new part of this exciting news is Mike Alexander, chairman of Californians for School Choice. And uh, Mike, I understand you got pretty good news out of the uh, Attorney General's office. Well, we sure did, Craig, and thanks for having me on. Uh, the news uh, yesterday was that we received title and summary. That's a little arcane for most people unfamiliar with politics, but that's the language that you get from the Attorney General that will let you print your initiative and start gathering signatures. And we got that yesterday, and our, our petitions are into the printer here as we speak. And so any of your listeners who want to work for School Choice, all they have to do is to go on CaliforniaSchoolChoice.org, all spelled out, CaliforniaSchoolChoice.org. Get signed up. Let me know. We'll send you a petition. Give us a bit of an insight in terms of um, what this process is going to look like. I understand that uh, within this proposed measure um, would really be an opportunity for parents of children of all ages, literally K through 12, to be able to essentially use the power of their own tax dollars. And I want to emphasize that. This is not a cash giveaway. Uh, This is essentially empowering parents to use their own tax dollars to be able to do what all of us do when it comes to buying a car, a home, we go to a suit. We want to go and buy a suit. We try to find the best one available at the best price. And unfortunately, for many parents um, that are trying to raise kids, put food on the table, plan for retirement, all of that, the notion of spending an additional ten, twenty thousand dollars a year in private education is just beyond the pale. This changes all that potentially. It does, and. Uh uh, you know, the four features of this bill that your listeners will want to know, it's the Educational Freedom Act. It has four key features. Number one, on request of a parent or guardian, an education savings account, so-called ESA, will be set up for your child. Number two, annually into that uh, account, that trust account, will be deposited that child share Prop 98 funds. That's a basic uh, education funding uh, law in California. That will start out at $14,000 per year per child and will be adjusted up or down the subsequent years as funding for schools and all other schools increases. Number three, the parent, the guardian, not the teacher's union or the zip code will be able to select an accredited participating private or parochial religious school, send the child there, and number four, keep any money left over for college, vocational training, or other qualified medical expense. This applies to all students in California, including homeschoolers. It's revolutionary. It's equal. It applies to all, regardless of race economic status, physical uh, problems, you name it. Everybody's treated the same. Everybody gets a start 
and this is the biggest thing to happen in California in a long, long, long time. And there's no sort of, as you're suggesting, means test here. You don't have to demonstrate nope. that you've got a uh, you know below X income. Uh, you know, the the only need that you need to demonstrate is your child needs an education. So there you have it. What That's I find right. fascinating yeah. about this too, Mike, the fact that there's much dialogue right now, as there has been for several years, about the amount of money that folks get themselves indebted with regarding higher education and the challenges people come out of a two or four year university or college and now they've got uh, you know these these big student loans that they're dealing with the fact that mm-hmm. this also motivates parents to be prudent that some of yep. these dollars if they are uh, really wise in terms of the school that they choose or maybe even do something like a homeschool that these funds yep. will be available to that child later on to uh, to continue their higher education and i yep. think that the 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 empowerment that this is going to provide uh, both parents and students here in california uh, should this be approved by the voters will be phenomenal uh, phenomenal it's going to be revolutionary because this will introduce the c word now one thing i which is competition one thing that i'd really like to communicate uh, uh to to your audience is the importance uh, of competition and how school choice will improve government schools, public schools, more than any other school. And it's because of this. Let's take that, uh, you know, the the lady. By the way, are we in San Francisco there? Is that where you're staying? Correct. Is? That's correct. Yeah, okay. So uh, yeah, let's uh, take uh, a, a young mother. Let's call her Lupita Morales. And Lupita's got three kids. And she doesn't speak very well. You know, and I know, that she gets treated very badly in those inner city schools where her kids are not getting an education and she can't get any attention. And that's because she's locked into that zip code. She can't be heard. But what happens when Lupita Morales becomes Mrs. Morales? And that's the day that she represents three children each of whom could get $14,000, and they can go where she wants. Now, she may not want to leave that public school, but I can tell you what, they're going to get a lot better because she is now a customer. The C-word, competition. The C-word, customer. The public schools are going to improve at the same time that all private schools uh, are, are going to improve because that lady can leave and take with her not just 14,000 times three. As a matter of fact, in the state of California, Craig, the average spending per pupil is $20,000 per year and sometimes more in the inner cities. So she actually represents, with those three children, $60,000 with the revenue or more. So when you and I, you know, you know how you treat the people uh, who are your customers, you know how I treat my customers. That's It's Mrs. Morales to you. She's got a lot of disposable income, and she's going to be making a lot of decisions. And you and I, I know, will trust Mrs. Morales to make those decisions in the best interest of her children, 
We trust her a lot more than we do the unions. Well, and I think at the end of the day, the only difference between parents that send their kids to phenomenal private schools and those that don't is not a lack of care or concern. There are no parents, I think, that say, you know, I hope my child grows up to be really lazy and ignorant, (laughs) completely ill-equipped for the life ahead of them. Uh, No parent says that. Come on. They want the best for their child, but oftentimes the big barrier is finances. And so now when you suddenly empower parents to be able to vote with their feet. This is not a knock, by the way, on public schools. There are many fine public schools here in the San Francisco Bay Area that do a great job, hardworking teachers, students excel, they graduate, they go on to two or four-year colleges or universities, they they ace all their SAT tests, they do phenomenally well. So we're not talking about trying to put public schools out of business, we're simply saying for those that don't do too well, or for a parent that lives in a neighborhood that really doesn't have many quality schools. They now have the empowerment to be able to vote with their feet, and those neighborhood schools now have the pure motivation to do better, because if they don't, they won't stay open long. That's right. Exactly. And all those uh, goofy courses that people don't like, they're going to take a back seat. They're going to be de-emphasized. And you're quite right. Nobody has to leave their public school. Or, or to paraphrase a good friend of mine, if you like your public school, you can keep it. No problem. You don't have to move. If your school's working for you, do not move. If it's not working for you and you want to try out the private sector, you have the financial <clears throat> ability to do so. Plain, pure, and simple. Couldn't be more American if we tried. And if folks want to get more information about the um, this particular initiative, again, now that uh, moves forward to collect the necessary 1 million signatures to qualify for the November 22 ballot, you can get information at CaliforniaSchoolChoice.org. That's CaliforniaSchoolChoice.org. And I imagine there, Mike, they can also find copies of the actual petition itself, download it, and collect signatures? That's the one thing they can't do because it's too large and it has to be on a single sheet of paper Ah, by state law. Got it. So we'll have to mail you one, but don't worry. We'll get it to you. Okay. Just go online, sign up to, you know, sign up, click the volunteer and and send us a note that you want the, uh, the petition. We'll get it to you, plus connect you with local leadership. All right, again, the website is californiaschoolchoice.org. That's californiaschoolchoice.org. 5.30 from KFAX. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. We spoke earlier with Jonathan Keller from the uh, California Family Council about a Trojan horse bill, Senate Bill 742, that purports to deal with all of these terrible protests going on at clinics and hospitals across the state of California related to COVID-19 vaccines. Of course, that's not happening, but they are using it to try and silence people that show up at Planned Parenthood clinics to give voice to um, those that have no voice. And if you think that's bad enough, well, there's a couple of others also signed by our governor that you need to be aware of that not unlike Senate Bill 742, SB 380 and AB 1184 likely facing 
legal challenges as well. For an update, we're joined by the host of Life Matters, heard Saturday mornings at 11 a.m. here on KFAX. He is also the Western Regional Director of the National Right to Life Committee and author of the best-selling new book, The Evil Twins, Roe and Doe, How the Supreme Court Unleashed Medical Killing. Brian Johnston joins us. Brian, always great to have you with us. This is, of course, something that uh, the California State Legislature sometimes tries to hide and manipulate and not quite be clear with what they're doing. But in the case of at least Senate Bill 380 and a companion bill, AB 1184, pretty clear cut what they're doing here. Let's get rid of all the old people that are inconvenient. Well, that's right. And uh, as you said, what's really implicit in the Roe and Doe decision, yes, it's about abortion. But when you examine the actual decisions, again, it's two combined decisions, the absolute authority is given to a doctor to now kill, and the doctor makes the decision. The woman can ask. She is free to choose to ask, but the final decision is the physician, and Blackman was very clear about that. That's often lost in our analysis of these decisions, because before that day in 1973, before January 22nd, 73, doctors never killed anybody, much less human babies. They just did not kill human beings. It was against the oath. And it was against the law of all the several states. So Roe v. Wade, we know, struck down the laws of the states. But perhaps more ominously, it struck down the medical profession as an ethical profession. They're free to kill. Now, many of the listeners know that assisted suicide was legalized in California. The way it was done is still under, uh, it's still in the courts because they kind of did that for loophole. But it's going on. What SB 380 does is change the existing law. It used to require a 15-day waiting period after a signed request to, oh, just kill me, Doc. I can't take it anymore. Just kill me. There would be a signed request. But now it's two spoken oral requests 48 hours apart. Now, the problem with that. These requests, by law, can be induced by other people, including the inheriting relatives. Grandma, you know, uh, we always loved you, but it's costing a lot of money, and you know that Sally really wants to go to Harvard. It's going to be expensive, and unfortunately, that the money you are donating, you're using it up, and it would be better, and it'll be easy if you just kind of move along. And that's legal. But this law not only allows that, there's now no record. It's an oral request. And so, oh, well, she asked for it, so we killed her. So it's extraordinary where we have come to. The dismissal of human life that's seen as less than valuable, that's seen as disposable, we are there. So that was Senate Bill 380. We will be trying to bring that to court, but the courts, too, are also very, very difficult, as we know. The other bill was Assembly Bill 1184, and that literally orders insurance companies. So you can have an insurance policy that your children are on, and most families do. But the insurance companies now are ordered to not tell the parent if their minor child goes in for an abortion or a sex change operation, or any other factor that's considered personal. 
even though it's your insurance company that's paying for it, they're not allowed to tell you that money was taken from your policy. So this is an extraordinary abuse by the state, superimposing itself, and really superimposing new values, progressive values that you should have, because the state is moving in a progressive direction. It's so positive, and it's destroying the family, and literally destroying lives, quite literally. So these are these are terrible bills, and uh, as you mentioned also, S42, uh, SB 742, which under the, the cover of, of uh, complaining about vaccinations, it actually is going to protect Planned Parenthood because Planned Parenthood offers everything now. <laughs> I don't know if you realize, under Obamacare, Planned Parenthood was setting itself up to be a, a general health provision. It was going to be like the general store of health care under Obamacare so they could just get unlimited federal funds. So, oh yeah, they offer vaccines too. So you better not you better not complain about about anything they do. It's it's extraordinary how the state of California, and of course now we see the federal government superimposing incredible anti-life policies on individuals and on our families. And pretty frightening because some of this stuff is is, is so egregious. Uh, you know, I mean, when you, when you think about the fact that the state here has no compunction whatsoever in essentially ripping some of the most fundamental parental rights away from parents all across the state without even blinking an eye. I mean, the notion that not only would a child be able to go in, receive medical treatment for everything from um, wanting the morning after pill to an outright abortion to uh, beginning the process of uh, uh sex change, and then the parent gets stuck with the bill and has no right to even know. I guess the line just shows up on your 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 itemized bill coming in from the, the medical facility is other, and you don't get to know yeah. what it's for. You just got to pay it, and if you don't pay it, I, I suppose they probably take you to court or take you to, uh, you know, uh, uh, debt collection. <laughs> it, it, it's, well, it, it's so it, egregious, it, it, Brian, it's beyond ridiculous. It is, and it's it's hidden from you. That's real. Is that the insurance company is required to not tell you, so it'll just be blended into the policy, and everything is silent. Silence is golden. So that's what we're looking at in this abuse of government. Unless we unless we change those who are making these laws, it's only going to get worse. Well, that's just it, and that's the reason why, uh, you know, we as California voters need to pay a little closer attention and not just, uh, you know, pull the handle or blacken the, the line or fill in the box with the candidate whose name we recognize, but to really dig deep into who they are, what they stand for, and uh, and recognize that these kinds of decisions, well, they have consequences. They certainly do. Uh, more information on this topic and others can be had, by the way, every Saturday morning on Life Matters, and I really want to encourage you to make an effort to tune in. Um, each week, Brian Johnston breaks down the stories of the week related to uh, pro life issues across the state and the nation, helps educate you as to where things stand, and, uh, and most importantly, help encourage you with some really solid and important 
information. That's Life Matters, Saturday morning at 11 here on AM 1100 KFAX. Also, all of these resources, including a back broadcast and other information available to you online at californiaprolife.org. We encourage you to get involved, support, and, uh, and become a member of the California Pro-Life Council and help stand with the unborn. California Pro-Life O-R-G. There's Brian Johnston, Western Regional Director with the National Right to Life Committee and the host of Life Matters, CaliforniaProLife.org. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right, we've spent some time this evening talking about the uh, vaccine, and of course it goes to the broader issue of the kind of, what do we call it, just complete horror that this COVID-19 virus has brought to the world. You know that since they started tracking this, what, a year and a half, almost two years ago, that around the globe there have been 239 million cases of COVID-19, 4,888,000 deaths. And, of course, the United States, sadly, uh, some of the worst statistics, largely because we didn't take it seriously in the beginning. We have thus far seen 739,000 Americans succumb to COVID-19. Remember I said before the end of the year we'll be at three-quarters of the million? Yeah, we're, uh, we're basically there. It's tragic. And while there's a lot that can be done in terms of uh, uh, medical innovation, um, and, and modification of our own behavior to try and prevent this. In the end of the day, I think this serves as a wake-up call. If we look at Scripture, we read, be it anything from the book of Daniel, the book of Revelation, and, and other places throughout Scripture that's forward-looking, we begin to understand that there will come a time when there will be wars, rumors of wars, plagues, locusts, uh, earthquakes in diverse places that... There would be a great falling away, then a great harvest, and then the end shall come. Where we're at exactly, I, I'm not going to dive into that level of eschatology because I think it's dangerous when you try to predict dates. All I can tell you is we're a day closer today than we were yesterday, and tomorrow will be a day closer still. Meanwhile, this is an opportunity for the church to be called to its knees, to pray for our nation, pray for the planet, quite frankly, and for all those that have been suffering from COVID-19. One week from today, such a global prayer event will be taking place. And to tell us more, we're joined by the founder of Yes, I Will Pray, a 24-7 nonstop global prayer cafe. Sherilee Sherman joins us. She, of course, is a certified marriage and family counselor, best-selling author and composer. Sherilee, always great to have you. Hey, it's always great to be here. But I'll tell you something. When you were reading those statistics, I felt my blood begin to boil. Because honestly, I'm at the point now where I'm saying, are we mad enough yet? <laughs> mm, yeah. I mean, are we, have we hit the, have we hit the wall yet on this thing? Because honestly, I just had another young, good, good man of God who went home to be with the Lord after being in the hospital for about four weeks this week. And I mean, it's just, it, it seems like it's such a repetitive, condolence that we're giving over and over and over again. And you know what? I know God is sovereign. I'm all about the sovereignty of God. But I'll tell you something. If you want to know what sovereignty is, you do what Jesus did. He never, ever worried about whether or not he was being sovereign or not. 
when he cast out demons, when he healed the sick, when he forgave people of their sins, when he came and he brought life to dead bodies, he wasn't worried about sovereignty. And he told us, what I've done, you're going to do, and greater. Go. Go into the world. Go, go, go. And that's our mandate. That's our call. And right now, I believe the greatest revival that can happen on this planet, because this is a worldwide pandemic, and if we right here in America or anywhere in the world, because yes, I will pray is worldwide now. If anybody anywhere in the world gets involved in what we're getting ready to do next Wednesday at noon, this is something that can absolutely turn things upside down, because I believe this is a demonic force. I believe that it is something that is, it is so, um, it's, it's one of those things that as Christians, we should not fear because we have the authority. He gave it to us. He gave to us what he had. He imparted it to us. And look at how many thousands and millions of people there are who, if they would realize the authority they have, what a difference could be made. And that's what next Wednesday is all about. It's time. It's time. It's time. The devil has had his day, and it's over. Yeah, and you know, sadly, as we think about some of those statistics, um, there's a good percentage of believers in Canada amongst those groups. And right. uh, not, not that we show any more or any less compassion for uh, their loss or for the suffering of their families, but just the idea that the, the devil is doing every can, everything he can right. to try and lay yep. the world bare, let alone just this country, yeah. lay the world bare. Yeah. And, you know, I think we have an obligation as Christians to be on our face before God because um, we might have gotten ourselves into this mess, but the Lord is the only one that's going to be able to get us out of it. And I think the notion of creating a – fostering an attitude of prayer so that this is not just, oh, it's a national day of prayer, we pray, and then we go back and, you know, (laughs) live live like jerks the rest of the time. We really need to foster (laughs) an attitude of prayer and and encouraging believers around the globe to come together and to prayer focus on certain issues like this one, as will be taking place. A week from today, that'll be at 10 a.m. Pacific time, noon central. Uh, I, I think is critically important, Charlie. I really do. Well, here's the thing: we are going to be one clarion voice, and believe you me, every demon in hell that's running around trying to make this become a focal point is going to hear what we have to say. We are not coming here to pray and ask God to do something that he's given us the authority to do. We're going to go and with one voice, all reading the same prayer at the same time. As a matter of fact, I'm going to pray it live on Facebook, so any of you who are on Facebook are going to be able to read the prayer with me. I want you to read it out loud. We need our voices to be heard. Read it as loud as you can. We want it to rock the heavens. And I want all you, all of you who are listening right now, if you don't have the prayer, if, you don't have, if you're not on Facebook, you can write to me at yesiwillpray247 at gmail.com. I'll send you the prayer. Uh, not the prayer, the declaration. And on Facebook, the declaration is there. It's on uh, Yes, I Will Pray. It's also on a brand new group that I started called Declarations and Prayers for the Congregation. We're going to be using that particular group as a way and a means to be able to disseminate prayers and declarations beyond this. Because, yes, I will pray, had a new life after the day that it started. So we're going to keep on doing things like this. But, you know, we have an authority. We have a power that God has placed. We have the spirit 
of God in us. We have His very breath rolling around in our bodies and in our lungs, and it's time for us to grab a hold of that and not be these wimpy little people. I'm not saying everybody's wimpy, of course not, but I mean, there are a lot of people who just really don't think that, you know, they're going to heaven, but that's about it. I mean, they're not doing anything else. We've got authority on this earth. We're kingdom people. We're in this world, but we're not of it. We have a whole different realm that we work under. And so next Wednesday is a red-letter revival day. I believe we're going to see people healed. I believe we're going to see people who had been told they had COVID or perhaps they were, um, you know, moving towards that because of symptoms. I believe we're going to see a miraculous move of God, and I believe people are going to get up out of their beds. I think they're going to be healed, and they're going to be whole, and they're going to be a testimony to the glory of God, and to God be the glory. I am so looking forward to it. I hope you all will come and be part of this. This is probably the most important thing you'll ever do in your life. It really is. When you gather together with other believers, and we pray with one voice, the Bible says where two agree as touching anything in my name, it will be done of my Father which is in heaven. What if we've got thousands and thousands who are praying in unison? I say do the math. It's going to be amazing. You don't want to miss it. And certainly at the end of the day, you know, we know that um, God answers prayer, and there's much power. I mean, <laughs> you know, that the old example of the faith the size of a mustard seed, as yes. Christ shared, and the ability yes. with that amount of faith to move mountains. Imagine now giving power to that faith through prayer and seeing God respond to the heart's cry of believers, thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, not just across America, but across the globe. We are yes. living in trying times, but we're also living in very exciting times, and this is really Amen. an opportunity where the church has got to come together, take it seriously, and be on our face before God. Again, this special event will be taking place one week from today. That's Wednesday, October the 20th, a prayer for the supernatural destruction of COVID-19, a call to action, really. And again, you can participate by simply uh, bowing your head and heart in prayer next Wednesday, the 20th at 10 a.m. You can get more information and sign up. Let them know that you're going to be part of the, uh, the, the, the group, the Clarion Throng from across the, uh, the globe praying. Simply go to yesiwillpray.com. And you know what? I'm doing this from memory here. I don't, <laughs> I don't find the don't website. Forget the yeah. No, it, don't forget that. It's, it, it's yes, I will pray 24-7 at gmail.com. We don't have this up on a website. This is an email. Just write to me and I will send you the, the declaration. Or you can find it on Facebook at Yes, I Will Pray, or you can find it at uh, Declarations and Prayers for the Congregation. It's all there. I will make sure you have exactly what it is you need to be a part of what's going on next Wednesday. You don't want to miss it. Well, we appreciate the update, Charlie, and uh, maybe we'll get a chance to Thank visit you, with you again before uh, next Wednesday to put in a final reminder for folks Noon Central, 10 a.m. Pacific, Wednesday, October 20th, one week from today. Be a part of it. There's Shirley Sherman. Six o'clock from KFAX. Let's get you some traffic news here ahead of the real news. We'll do all that right now.